You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, that's been our text for this series of messages on freedom. Romans chapter 7, and I want to read to you our key verses once again. Number three in a series on freedom. Beginning at verse 4 in Romans 7. Notice the four key phrases around which I am revolving my thoughts. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, the law, we have been released from it. We've been released from the law for a particular purpose in order that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Four phrases that we've been using to highlight some of the thoughts that I'm gleaning from the Scriptures on the topic of freedom. We talk, first of all, about what it means to be aroused by the law. You make a sincere effort to live the Christian life. You make the pivot point of your efforts to growth, renewed effort, and chances are you'll fail. As you see it as your responsibility to do all that you should do, when that becomes the core of your life, then sinful passions will be aroused by the law. That was our first message, freedom, what it isn't. We then talked last week about what it means to be dead to the law, that you and I are a people who are no longer required to look to external standards as the final code of our behavior. Rather, we're dead to those external standards and are now free to respond to the internal reality of a heart that's been touched by God. That was sermon number two. Today we're going to look at the phrase, what it means to be released from the law, and next week we'll conclude on what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit. I want us again to pray as we look at this very important matter of freedom. Father, there's not a person in the room who, when they're honest, doesn't understand what the word pressure means. Lord, there are some who haven't tasted what freedom means. I believe it's your desire that each of us taste that more. Father, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, to accomplish something so complete, something that could not be accomplished in any other way. Father, our desire is to enter more fully into the salvation that's ours because of his death on the cross. Help us to understand, and more than understanding, Father, help us to experience in our souls, in our stomachs, in our hearts, the reality of freedom. Use today for that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After last week's message on freedom, a friend came to me, middle of the week, and said, "Um, I feel that your sermons should be getting to me more than they are. It was a woman, and she said, I think the reason the sermons are not really getting to me the way I, I think you intend and the way I wish they were is because I'm so used to pressure as a way of life that I simply have given up all hope of experiencing life without it. I've already decided in my mind that pressure is the normal way to live. When I hear you tell me that I'm not supposed to be concerned with trying hard to be a good Christian, when I hear you tell me that I'm not to be concerned with what is right and wrong, that's 
sounds a lot like heresy. And it sounds that if I were to get hold of that, if I were to begin living my life in a way where I was not every day determined, trying hard to do the right thing, that would seem positively unchristian to me. Hear what she's saying? A life of pressure is a normal Christian life. What she's saying is that she's so used to the experience of pressure that the prospect of living without it seems foreign and not really a possibility at all, folks. Let me tell you what I'm trying to do in these four sermons. In a way that I've not seen before, I really believe that freedom's available to me. Freedom from pressure. And I believe it's available to you. And I believe in just recent months that I've begun to experience a little more of what that word freedom means. The word joy, the word rest, have been biblical words in my vocabulary for years, but now they're beginning to become personal realities. And I want to know more of that. I've had, a, I've had a taste of freedom. And that freedom that I have had a taste of is due directly to what Christ did on the cross for me. I want more of that taste, and I want you to have more of that taste. With all my heart, I want that. I want this to be a church where we're growing in freedom. I want this to be a church where if Paul were to write us a letter, he would not say, five years from now, what's happened to your joy? I want this to be a church where Paul, if you're writing a letter to us, would commend us for our grasp of the gospel in a way which has released us from that deep, chronic, abiding pressure which so often feels defeating within us. I really desire to have freedom become more of an experience in my soul than in yours as well. I've preached two messages so far in freedom. Freedom, what it isn't, trying hard. Freedom, what it is, dead to the law, no longer governed by external standards, but now free to respond to the internal realities of a heart that's been touched by God. That was last week. And in these first two messages, if you have been listening carefully, you notice that last week I concluded by painting myself into a corner. Remember that? I concluded by saying, all right, if what I've said so far is true, we've got troubles. If what I've said so far is true, we're into a real dilemma which requires resolution. Anybody recall what the problem was? Anybody can put it in just a sentence? What was the problem last week I left you with? Yeah. Sure. Simple as that. What do you do when what you really want to do is wrong? I said last week that a new covenant person, a person who has a heart of flesh as opposed to a heart of stone, and that's me, and that's you, by the grace of God, that a new covenant person is one who, when he's trying to decide, should I spank my child or overlook the offense? What's the right thing to do that a new covenant person is not one who runs out and buys 20 books on how to raise kids, makes sure he doesn't miss the next parent-child seminar, rather than looking at all these external principles saying there is a right way to do it and I've got to find out what it is. A new covenant person is one who says, rather, what down deep as I look at my child knowing that I love my child, as I look at my Lord knowing I love my Lord, what do I really want to do? And I encourage you to trust yourselves, to trust your heart. The dilemma is, Suppose what you really want to do is clearly wrong. Suppose you're so mad you want to beat your kid to a pulp. And that's all you're aware that you want to do. That's a problem. I don't want to encourage that. But last Sunday's sermon could leave you with that. Let me just make sure we're with the dilemma. Danny put it well. I want to say it again just for the sake of making sure we all get the dilemma clearly because the rest of the message this morning, I want to resolve that dilemma if that's possible to do. In Sermon 1, Freedom, What It Isn't, I thought that if we try to do, if we try hard to do right, we're going to end up in failure and defeat. The pressure to live up to God's standards is absolutely unbearable. None of us is up to the task. There is no freedom 
in trying to do right. Message one. Message two. I indicated that Christians are to live according to the new heart which God puts in us, no longer controlled by external standards. Because we're dead to the law, our question is not to be, what should we do, but rather, what do we truly want to do? Now, those two thoughts don't try hard to do right, and secondly, don't worry about what the right thing is, brings us right to the edge of a terrible heresy. It brings us right to the edge of a terrible problem. Suppose when you look at your heart, you realize that what you want to do is clearly wrong. You really don't want to move towards your spouse. You're so mad over the last number of years, the last thing you really want to do is to move towards the person who brought you so much pain. And when I say go do what you want, that means back off. You don't really want to stay faithful to your spouse. You want to have an affair. Am I saying go do it? You really want to hold a grudge. You look at your heart, and this person has offended you so much that you rather enjoy nursing the, the hurt. And you rehearse, like so many of us do, little conversations, you know? Things you just love to say, and the words are delicious in your mouth, you're looking for the opportunity to spit them out with venom. And that's what you want to do. And I say, trust your heart, do what you want. Are there any problems here? Isn't there a problem here? You want to back away from that uncomfortable situation. You don't want to deal with it. Tough. Am I suggesting that because we need not try hard to do right, am I therefore suggesting that when we feel like doing wrong, we should go ahead and do it? That's what last week could have sounded like. And I'm anxious that I be heard carefully today. I don't want to fall off the edge of this cliff. We're close to a precipice which you could fall off. We're close to something which is called antinomianism fancy word, it means apart from the law or against the law. Do whatever you want. Who cares what's right and wrong? You feel like it, do it. That's an error. That's a heresy. But I'm right close to it. I'm right on the border of it. I don't want to fall off that edge. I don't want to fall off the edge by telling you you're free from the pressure to do right, and Christian freedom means go out and do whatever you deeply want to do, even when it's wrong. I don't want to fall off the edge of that cliff by saying that, but I also don't want to do what I think is the most natural thing to do at that point. I also don't want to retreat from the edge and cause us to lose our freedom and say to you, when your heart is wrong and you know it, when you know your heart's leading in the wrong direction, I don't want to come to you and say, give up your freedom. I want you to try hard to do the right thing. I know you want to do the wrong thing, but don't. God says don't, and your job is to do what God says, so try hard to do right. If I say that to you, I've lost the first two messages. And I work too hard on them to lose those first two messages. This edge that we're on, I hope you're catching the drift. Y'all catch the drift where I am? Here the edge? This cliff that we're hovering dangerously close to? I don't want to fall off and say, go do your thing. I don't want to back up and say, try hard to do right. But I'll tell you something, this edge that we're on is a very real edge, but it's right where we ought to be. Let me suggest to you that um, so often in evangelical circles, my perspective that we're so scared of making an error that we run so far from error that we miss truth. Does that make sense? We're so scared of doing the wrong thing, we're saying, number one above everything else, never do anything wrong, therefore let's construct a rule system, let's construct a, 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 a way of living the Christian life that will guarantee us that we not fail. I want to suggest if you're leading the Christian life properly, you're on the edge of disaster. 
and you better be walking with the Lord, and you better know the Spirit of God is a reality in your life, or you're mighty close to disaster. I want to be on the edge. All Christian truth, if properly understood, is right on the border of heresy. Don't make it your job to avoid error. Make it your job to pursue truth. And you'll come close to error. But if you make it your job to avoid error, you're going to lose the vitality of Christianity, and you're going to be like so many other Christians, you're going to be bored to death with Christian truth. Because our Lord died on the cross to pay for every violation of his holy standards, God takes sin seriously. He takes sin so seriously, he sent his son to die for people like me and like you who have broken his law. But because he's already paid the price in full, I am now free from having to live a life of pressure trying to do right. That freedom can be enjoyed or it can be abused. My topic today is freedom, how to enjoy it. Turn to Galatians. As we seek to get into some resolution of this problem that I've created. Listen to Galatians chapter 5 and just two verses. Now you think with me today and see if this resolves the problem for you. Galatians 5 and verse 1, Paul says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. When you experience within your heart a desire to do wrong, when somebody comes into your situation and tells you your responsibility is to do differently than you're doing, here are the rules of the Christian life, here's the code of ethics, here's what you ought to be doing, you don't feel like doing it, I don't care what you feel, I care what God says, you do what God says, that's all there is to it. Paul says, don't you go back under that kind of legalistic authority again. You're free. You're a new covenant person. But he says in verse 13... As he repeats himself on the first phrase, you, my brothers, you, you were called to be free, but, important but in the scripture, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Don't use your freedom, don't abuse your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. I'm not saying to you that when you feel like having an affair, go do it because you're free. I'm not saying to you when you feel like backing away from your spouse because there's no pleasure there, just back away because you're free. I'm not saying that. Paul's not teaching that. How then do we enjoy our freedom without falling off the cliff? The key phrase about which I want to revolve our thinking this morning is that phrase that I read to you in Romans 7 and verse 6, that we've been released from the law. We've been released from the law, and we've been released from something, but we've been released just as importantly to something. And that's going to be the key to the answer to the question. We've been released from the law, but released to what? been released to a relationship of love. Take your Bible, lose your freedom by saying, all right, I'll try not to do the wrong thing. I know it's wrong, so I'll try not to do it. If that's what you do, you've lost your freedom. If rather than that, you say, I don't want to lose my freedom, so I'll follow my heart and go do wrong. If that's the case, you've abused your freedom. So what do we do when your heart leads you in wrong directions? Release from the law is the answer. What does it mean? Exodus 21. These are the laws, verse 1. That God tells Moses he's a set before the children of Israel. And verse 2, listen to the laws regarding slavery or servanthood in the Jewish economy. Verse 2, Hebrews, uh, Exodus 21. If you buy a Hebrew servant, and that was permitted all in, in Jewish economy, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. Maybe the Hebrew servant was in debt and couldn't afford to pay his bills, and so he sold himself as a slave in order to get out of out of his debts. If you buy a Hebrew servant, then he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. 
a parallel passage in another book, Deuteronomy, says that when your servant goes free, you make sure you give him the abundance of what you have. You make sure you load his bag with clothes and with food and with good stuff. Don't make him stay just to get a meal. Give him real freedom. He can go. He's to go free. Without paying a thing. Verse 3. If he comes alone, he's to go free alone. If he has a wife when he comes, she's to go with him. But, verse 4, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, now catch this, he's now released from the law, but he's moving towards a relationship of love. If the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to leave your employ... I don't want to use my freedom to move away from your authority. That's not what I want to do. Then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. By the way, when it says to take him before the judges, the phrase could equally well be translated, take him before God. Take him before, take him before that place where God does serious business. Take him to that special place in the Old Testament culture where when you make a vow, you're making it before God. His master takes him before the judges and you take him to the door of the doorpost and you pierce his ear with an awl. Put a hole in his ear. Then he shall be your servant for life. Now catch this. At the end of six years, the slave is entirely released from the law. There is no moral consequence of his leaving his master. He's absolutely 100% free. He can go with no recrimination, no consequence, no penalty. He's free to go. But the text says, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my kids. Everything my heart desires is with you. Therefore, in my freedom, I choose to stay with you. Now he's no longer a slave by law. Now he still is a slave. Paul said, I'm a bond slave of Christ, but not by law, but now by free, completely free, choice. Slave by law? No longer. Slave by choice? When you know your master, of course. The slave recognizes that what he really wants from life is available in service to his master. Do you recognize that? Are you aware of what you want from life? Are you aware that what you want from life is available only in relationship with your master, with God? If you're not aware of that, you don't understand the gospel. That situation, I would suggest, is almost a perfect picture for you and me today as a Christian. We were required to keep God's laws. We were born into the world under penalty of death. God has standards. You've all broken them. And God says that that law has now condemned you. But God reveals a plan where we can have life with him. He reveals a plan where we can have everything our soul could ever desire by accepting Christ's death as the punishment a holy God requires for sin. And when we see what God has done and how much he loves us, then we invite him to pierce our ears. That's the importance of the image. Isaiah 50 talks about the, the Lord speaking, saying that my ears have been pierced by God. Psalm 40, verse 6, talks about, God, you don't want me to offer sacrifices. You don't want Christian ritual. Christian ritual. You want an opened ear. You want a pierced ear. The idea of a pierced ear is a theme throughout the whole Old Testament appearing several places. When you come to Christ, you're getting your ear pierced. When you come to Christ, you're telling him, look, I understand that what you have to offer is precisely what I want. That's the new heart. That's the new heart of Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. That's the new heart of Ezekiel 11. 
That's the new heart that God talks about in the new covenant, that my ear is pierced. What now I really want is, God, what you have to offer. But suppose now, stay with that Jewish servant. Suppose after a week of having his ear pierced, he has a choice to go free. He said, I don't want to go free. But you have is what I want. Pierce my ear. I'm your slave for life. Notice it says, slave for life. It doesn't say a trial basis. I'm a slave for life. And you get your ear pierced to say that. A week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, ten years go by. And at the end of some period of time, he gets tired of his responsibilities. Did you ever get tired of the Christian life? Did you ever get tired of doing what you ought to do when you get so little reward for it? Did you ever get tired of faithfully moving into people's lives but not getting the response that you want? Did you ever get tired of parenting when your kids seem so ungrateful? How many fathers today are going to hurt so bad because no one's going to call them? What are they going to do? Quit? Did you ever get tired of it? Sure you do. Did you ever get tired of moving towards your wife and she hasn't responded for five years and you're ready to quit? Did you get tired of responsibilities in the Christian life? Sure. The slave, after five years perhaps, no longer sees his responsibilities as an opportunity to enter more fully into what his soul desires. For whatever reason, let's assume the slave sees his responsibilities as burdensome duties. He feels hemmed in. The idea of doing things other than serving his master seem attractive. What do you do when your heart leads you wrong? You know it's wrong. What do you do after some years of being a Christian and your heart leads you wrong? What's that servant to do when he feels that way? What am I to do when I feel that way? Three options, it seems to me. Three things you can do. Three things you can do when after some period of time of living for the Lord, continuing on with the Lord seems like a burden as opposed to an opportunity. There's three things you can do. First thing you can do is you can forget God's instructions. You can give in to your desires. You can violate Paul's words in Galatians 5 where he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your sinful desires. First choice is that. Forget God's instructions and do whatever you feel like doing regardless of whether it's right or wrong. That's one thing you can do. If you do that, you're wrong. If you do that, worse than being wrong, you're really stupid. Because there's no life apart from God. And rather than enjoying your freedom, if you take that first option when your heart's leading you wrong, may I tell you what's going to happen, and it's happened to some of you, it's going to happen to some others of you, when you take that first option of when you feel like you want to move in the wrong direction, and your heart's telling you, don't move towards spouse, don't move towards child, I've had it. No longer is there joy in, in God, now it's a pain in the neck. And when in the, in, the, in the reality of that heart condition you move away from God, what you're going to run into is God's discipline. That's the passage that Mike read for us, Hebrews 12. You're going to run into God's discipline. God disciplines his children. If when your heart tells you to do wrong, you go ahead and do it with no concern whether you're pleasing God, expect discipline, and it will be unpleasant. That's option one. Give in and be disciplined. And if God loves you, and he does, you will be disciplined. Count on it. Suppose then, you say, I don't want that. All right, I really realize that if I do wrong, I want to be disciplined. God's no father to mess around with. He's tough. And I don't want to do wrong because he's going to discipline me. All right, I'll go to option two. I'll go back under the law. I'll work hard trying to do right. How many have read Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody read that? Pilgrim's Progress? Several hands go up. Classic Christian allegory. Well, it's a young man named Pilgrim has a burden on his back he wants to get rid of, and he wants to get to the celestial city. He wants to get to the place of peace and rest and joy. And as he travels this road, wanting to get to a place where he can have joy and where there's no pressure and where he can relax, as he's walking this road, somebody comes out from behind the bushes and knocks him down with a fierce blow. 
and he falls down. The man's overpowering. He can't, he can't win the fight. He, he stumbles to get back up on his feet again, and he keeps walking, and this man quickly reappears and knocks him down again. He gets up a third time. The man comes out and knocks him down again. A fourth time, he's knocked down again. And finally, he realizes he's going to make no progress as long as that man is there to knock him down. So he says to the man, Who are you anyhow? And in Pilgrim's Progress, the man says, My name is Law. You go under the law. You make it your business to work hard to do right. You'll never make it. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at Galatians chapter 3. In verse 10, we're told that all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. When your heart wants to do the wrong thing, do you say to yourself, I'm not allowed to do the wrong thing, I'll try to do the right thing. That will result in your getting beat up, you will make no progress in your path towards joy. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Look at verse 23. Before this faith came, there's a whole new way of living other than trying to do right. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. That's the Pilgrim's Progress parallel. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. The word for charge there is a very interesting word. It's a word which really means escort. What God is saying is this. If your heart is wrong, and you know you want to do the wrong thing, if you go back under the law, the law is going to beat you up. The law is going to defeat you. If you go back under the law and say, my principle for living is going to be to try to do right, you're never going to succeed. The purpose of the law was not to teach me how to live. The purpose of the law was not to lead me to the path of life. The purpose of the law was to serve an escort function and bringing me to Christ. The passage makes that clear. The law was not intended to be kept. It was meant to direct. And I'm to recognize when I try hard to do right that there's no life in keeping on with that. When I feel frustrated with my desire to do wrong and my failing effort to do right, don't make the mistake of just recommitting yourself. Don't rededicate yourself to doing right. You're still back under the law. Let the law drive you to Christ. And that's the third option. I want to talk about that for just a few minutes as we quit. What are we supposed to do? When your heart leads you wrong, what is that servant with his pierced ear supposed to do? Go ahead and do wrong. The result is discipline. Try hard to do right. The result is defeat. What's he, what's he supposed to do? What's the option that works? The answer is option three. And this to me is a resolution for the dilemma. And I'm going to put it in metaphorical terms so you can follow my point. What do you do when your heart wants to go wrong? When you know you want to do the wrong thing? Go do it? No. Try hard not to do it? You've all tried that, haven't you? Don't raise your hand, but how many have bad habits you've been trying to conquer for years? How are you doing? Either you're still doing them with no victory... Or you've succeeded in overcoming it, and now you're proud. Those are your options. What do you do when your heart leads you wrong? Give in? No. Try to do right? No. Option three. This is going to lead into our thinking for the Lord's Supper next week. Option three is this. Here's the metaphor. See if you can follow the point. Feel the hole in your ear. Feel the hole in your ear, and remember 
why it's there in the first place. As we were pierced this morning, if your ear is pierced this morning, ask yourself, why is it pierced? Have you come to Christ? Some of you haven't. I hope you do this morning. Many of you have come to Christ. Your ear is pierced. Why did you come to Christ? Why did you say to your master, I'm not going to go away from you, I'm going to stay with you because I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, everything my soul wants is with you, and I choose to stay with you on the basis of realizing that what I want is with you, pierce my ear. Feel the hole in your ear. And ask the question whether or not you really believe that. If you really believe that there's life apart from God, you'll never live for God. If you really believe that there's life apart from God, you simply won't live for God. Bible says there's no life apart from Christ. Feel the hole in your ear. Remember that you really do believe that there's life with your master. That's why you had your ear pierced in the first place. Openly admit your struggles. In the past week I've had moments, several, well, I don't want to do the right thing. If I just trusted my heart and said, Larry, do whatever you feel like, I'd have yelled at somebody. I'd have avoided somebody else. I'd have given in to certain fantasies that are wrong. What do you do when your heart leads you in the wrong direction? You openly admit your struggles. You openly admit your struggle to believe that core thing which you must believe if you're to know victory, that there really is life in Christ and no place else. Eventually your heart will revive. I felt cheated not too long ago by something. I felt cheated by God, actually. Got up in the middle of the night just upset with Him. I didn't like Him very much. We weren't speaking terms. At least I wasn't with Him. And I spent about an hour in the middle of the night just weeping and yelling, it's not fair do? Just go back and try hard to do right? Or after all that emotional upheaval, do you put your hand on your ear and say, Lord, I really do believe you're good. I really do believe that everything my heart desires is somehow in you. Lord, I choose to believe that. You come back to that point, without coming back, without coming back to that point, you're never going to make it towards God. Folks, you've been released from the law. Reflect on the fact that you've been released from the law to serve a good master. It is in your freedom that you choose to follow Christ because you deeply want to. When you take a child to the dentist, the child has to go. He's under obligation because mom makes him go. When an adult goes to the dentist, why does he go? Because he enjoys it, not particularly. But he wants to go because he knows that's something which is going to be good. Sometimes Christ, sometimes the Christian life, is like a ten-year-long stint in a dentist chair. Why are you going to stay? The child says, let me out. The adult says, yeah, it's hard, but I know it's good, and I want to stay with you. Because you know there's no life apart from Him. Don't follow Christ because you have to. Follow Him because you know He's good. There's no life apart from Him. Way to enjoy freedom. Pierce your ear. And be a servant for life. I didn't finish the passage in Galatians 5. Let me finish it for you now. 
You, my brothers, were called to be free. In verse 13, I'll just read it to you. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Galatians 5.13. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Don't use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Rather, reflect on why you've come to Christ. Feel your pierced ear. Recognize that what you really want is what God has to offer and move towards Him by the freedom of choice, not by obligation. Rather, Paul says in Galatians 5.13, rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Our freedom in Christ designed to be enjoyed will only be enjoyed if we realize that God is good. When we understand our freedom in Christ, then the Lord says, with that understanding of freedom, I want you to understand what it means to relate deeply to people. Don't use your freedom to indulge sin. Use your freedom to touch somebody else deeply. Ask, ask this question of yourself as we quit. Who, who touches you deeply? A lot of you on Father's Day hurt more than you do on other days, because your dad never touched you deeply. Your dad hurt you more than he loved you. And that's hard for a lot of you. Or even touched deeply. Who have you touched deeply? Folks, next week what I want to do is talk about the fact that this freedom, which means, don't try hard, don't worry about what's right and wrong, rather recognize the goodness of God, and therefore you'll choose Him. Get all that together, and the scriptures make clear that when you're dead to the law, no longer aroused by the law, released from the law, what you're going to move to is serving in a new way of the Spirit. What does it mean to really touch? Do we have a church with good fellowship? Do we have a church with good relationships? Do you feel like you belong here? Do you feel like people can touch you here? Some of you do, and some of you don't. Next week, I want to look as carefully as I know how in a brief period of time as we enter the Lord's Supper together next week. I want to look at what it means to deeply connect with one other person at least. To deeply touch and to be touched by them. It's rare. But it's possible because we're free. Let's pray as we pray. Father, we are grateful for the freedom that's ours. We're grateful that we're no longer servants by law. We're no longer a people who look at that law and say we're stuck, we're obligated, we have to. Father, those of us whose hearts have been opened also have opened ears. We're a people who realize that you're good. We're a people that want to pursue you. Father, help us to reflect on your goodness. Help us to reflect that when life is falling apart, when things are wrong, when we're aching, when we're struggling, when things just don't seem to be going well at all, that somehow there's a good God who... We've understood his goodness to some level. Our ears have been pierced and we desire to follow him. Father, help us to meditate on what it means to have a pierced ear. And therefore, to revive that desire to move towards you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To learn more, visit LargerStory.com.